0: Bet on Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast coming your way. Pat, the designer, Jason McKee in the building, joined by somebody who's going to bring us some insights on our new O.C. Big shout out to Corbin Smith from Locked On Seahawks. You guys know I rock with the Locked On Network as well. And so these guys are some of the best in the business when it comes to breaking down the Seahawks. Really excited to have you on here, Corbin. We got to talk about Shane Waldron. Got to talk about what kind of offense he's going to bring to this team. All that and more in today's episode. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave that five star review. First off, boys, how are you guys doing today?
1: Doing good. I, uh, I first I want to give Corbin a shout out too. I know before we jumped on, I mentioned the Doug Baldwin jersey, man. It's Doug a good Baldwin. Jersey. From from the same high school, so Gulfreeze High School in Florida. I'm a Gulfreeze High School alum, so shout out Doug Baldwin, great person, great player, and obviously great Seahawks. So welcome Corbin to the podcast. To the podcast. Thanks for know.
2: having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, the the Baldwin jersey. I I had to go with Baldwin because I, I just don't think there's a there's not a player that really personified Pete Carroll's always compete message better than what he did.
0: No, for sure. I mean, you 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 definitely got the right guy in the background. And it I think it's so interesting right bringing up Pete Carroll because the reason we have Shane Waldron is because of the surprise that Pete Carroll's just like, "All right, I'm going to move up." Right? He got he got kind of fired up, I like to say, right? Like he got that promotion where it's like, "You're too good for us to get rid of you, but also we need a different voice in here." What kind of went into all of that with Carroll? And all of a sudden, the surprise promotion that puts him in the
2: front office. See, I didn't necessarily view it as a surprise because it felt like coming out of last season, the expectations, it was much different. Last year, two years ago, when Geno Smith was the starting quarterback for the first time, I think a lot of people thought the Seahawks were going to be the worst team in the NFC West. And for them to go out and make the playoffs, they vastly exceeded expectations. But... This year, with that, you had all the young players going into year two. They had another really exciting rookie class. So expectations were much higher that this team was going to win double-digit games. They were going to be back in the playoffs and potentially be a threat to the 49ers, Eagles, and other teams like that. And that ultimately did not happen. So I think this was kind of – I don't want to say it was an ultimatum, but I think that John Schneider and owner Jody Allen kind of felt like if we don't take that next step, and they clearly didn't, They started off 6-3, and and then things fell apart after that for the most part. That's the second year in a row that the second half they've fallen apart. I think they just felt like at this point, we don't know if Pete is the one that can take this team to the next level at this point. And so I wasn't necessarily surprised by the move. It was still something I thought Pete Carroll was going to be back for another season, but at the same time, I wasn't going to be surprised if they made this move. And so here we are now in the Seahawks for the first time since 2009 are trying to find a new head coach.
1: Yeah, Corbin, let's get into it too. We know we've hired um, you know, Shane Waldron here. He's a new OC here in Chicago. A guy who was highly coveted this offseason to be to take that offensive coordinator position. And when I, when I hear Waldron's name, I hear words like, you know, great teacher. He has great experience. He's a great developer. He's creative. Uh, what do you think is his best quality as a coach is
2: I feel like this was especially evident last season in 2022 but I feel like you see a coach that really understands the personnel that he has around him in 2022 the Seahawks were one of the top teams in the league in using 13 personnel I believe they were second Mm -hmm. in percentage in that season and they used Noah Fant, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson as much as anybody and that was a really fun tight end group and that was part of the reason Geno Smith had the breakout season because he threw the football to those tight ends over a thousand combined yards by those tight ends. And then you had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the outside. And so they were able to use all those weapons. I did not feel like, however, that happened this season. There were way too many times where it seemed like Waldron just kind of forgot, oh, we still have all three of these tight ends. And they weren't heavily involved in the offense. And I think the other thing that was really frustrating is the lack of adjustments. I don't know that there was a better offensive coordinator in the NFL with scripted plays than Shane Waldron. The Seahawks had one of the best opening drive offenses in the NFL this year. But after he got past those scripted plays and defenses made adjustments, that is when you start to see this this offense fall apart and they were one of the worst second half offenses in the league for most of this year. And I think those numbers would have been even further skewed if not for the fact that Geno Smith had five game-winning drives and Drew Locke had a game-winning drive this year. So you can give some credit to Shane Waldron for those last-minute drives calling the right plays, but it just felt like the adjustment aspect that that really was a struggle. But personnel-wise, if you can get Shane Waldron from 2022, I thought he did a great job maximizing Seattle's talent and personnel, and that's why they had a top-10 offense that season.
0: Now, yeah, Corbin, you're,
2: Corbin, you're triggering you, Bears fans right now. Yeah, you never Corbin. Cool. I'm getting, man, Pat, you see my face. Hey, li- I, listen, I'm telling you what the stats back up and the ah. film backs up. It, go uh, look at the stats. I mean, I,
0: And and I want to ask you, to, and here's, I'll, I'll say it in this way, right? I'll tell this, this recently happened. Story's a little, it starts a little dark, but it has a, a good ending, right? And it tells you how much this is going to trigger Bears fans. A friend of mine, father, just had uh, a stroke and is recovering. He's doing well now, but he was out of it for a couple of days. Came out of it after surgery, doing better. First calls his son, 5 a.m., doesn't know what's going on. First question out of his mouth. So I heard we hired a new OC. What's that looking like? Mm. And my friend basically broke down what you just said. So Mm. should we be very concerned that... The Shane Waldron we're getting is a repeat of the Luke Getze that we just let go. Or was there something that changed between last year and this year? Because we, we, got, we got a lot of Bears fans who just heard you say
2: pretty much that he's Luke Getze in a Seattle uniform. Mm. So if you're looking for a positive silver lining here, the Seahawks had a lot of injuries on the offensive line this season. So that would be the one big caveat that I would put here. They had nine different starting offensive line combinations in Geno Smith's 15 starts this year. So they were playing musical chairs up front, and I do think that that had a negative impact on what Shane Waldron was able to run offensively from a playbook standpoint. With that being said, I don't feel like he helped himself out either. And in particular, this is what was stunning to me. Everyone knows how much Pete Carroll loves running the football. Yeah, I have never seen an offensive coordinator in Seattle, even in the Mike Holmgren era, I have never seen an offensive coordinator in Seattle that if you got stuffed on three or four runs, you just completely abandoned it. And that happened so many times this year with Shane Waldron. I felt like in the second half of the season, it wasn't as bad, but there were some games early in the year where it's like, man, if you would just stick with the run game just a little bit, You'd help your quarterback out, and I think it put Geno Smith in some really difficult spots behind that offensive line that was missing Abraham Lucas, their right tackle, most of the year. They were missing a bunch of other guys in and out of the lineup. So, yeah, the offensive line, I think that was certainly something that impacted his ability to call plays. I don't think they could do some of the longer developing pass plays that they would have liked to do. They did the season before. So that is something to keep in mind. That being said, I know the Chicago Bears' offensive line has not necessarily been a strength in recent years either, so how does that match up with Waldron, who, again, if you're getting the 2022 version, I think he could be a really good asset for a young quarterback coming in, whether it's Justin Fields coming back or Caleb Williams or whatever they choose to do there, but the question for me is going to be, is he going to regress back to last season where it just felt like... He couldn't figure out how to really maximize his personnel. There were too many games where DK Metcalf, they weren't scheming up enough to try to get him the football, which that was baffling to me. So I think he is a mid-level offensive coordinator. That is my honest assessment. I don't think he's a bad one, but I don't think he's a great one either. I feel like the lack of adjustments and moving away from the run game too often, personnel issues at times, those are things if he grows from those issues from last year, then he could be better than what Luke Getzey was. If not, you could be in a situation where it's Luke Getzey 2.0. Yeah, and everything you say, I'm just
1: listening to it, and I'm just having flashbacks already in the season just finished. And, you know, it it was with Getzey was the lack of in-game adjustments that we saw, and it was also, you know, Getzey having a passing game that didn't really marry in terms of it didn't really fit the protection schemes that was called. You know, a lot of times we had – five-man protection but we had a lot of deeper routes so you know if they brought one more guy than we could pick up in pass protection Where well, you see Justin Fields getting hit and you know a team in which you know the last two years credit to Getsey, we were one of the top you know top teams in rushing in, ter- in in the league in terms of running the football but the problem we had was you know Getse's lack of creativity and in-game adjustments and putting us in position not only into you know, the offense but as players in position to be successful and you know, we saw here in Chicago a lot of times, yes, we had finally had a true number one at D.J. Moore, but we yeah. also saw at times in which D.J. Moore disappeared in games and gets struggled trying to find ways to scheme him open. And, you know, we didn't have the, the receiving core that you guys had up there in Seattle, I and mean, you had three guys over 500 yards. You know, we had one, which is D.J. Moore, and I'll throw in Cole Komet, but he's a tight end. He had over 700 yards. So, you know, I, I say that to say this, with with when you look at Shane Waldron in terms of his passing game and and you know what he's done the last three years in Seattle, uh, what do you how do you feel like he can elevate
2: the Chicago Bears passing game? I think one thing, and again, this is going back to 2022. It just felt like it was two different seasons and not yep. just statistically, but in 2022, one of the reasons that Geno Smith was so successful, and this was stemming off the Russell Wilson era where you rarely saw him attack the middle of the field, whether it's because he couldn't see over the offensive line or he just didn't want to make those throws. Mm-hmm. The Rams in the playoffs in 2020 basically said, we're going to leave the tight ends and stuff open in the middle of the field. We just don't think you're going to throw it. And he didn't do it. And the Seahawks lost that game at home in the wildcard round. So Schottenheimer gets canned. They bring in Shane Waldron. And I felt like he did a better job those first two years – of really attacking the middle of the field, using tight ends. And Geno Smith was able to make those throws. And that was one of the reasons he was so successful. This season, it didn't seem like they were able to get that going schematically again. There were games like the Baltimore Ravens. They got destroyed by the Ravens, which a lot of teams have been destroyed by the Ravens this year. (laughs) But I went back and watched all 22, and you're playing one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL. And I'm midway through the third quarter, and I've counted two routes that were in breaking to the middle of the field the entire game. There was a third and 11 where they had – or third, it was third and five. There was two different places i thinking of. Third and five, and they had no routes less than 12 yards against that Ravens pass rush. And, of course, Geno Smith got swarmed by a five-man rush. And so that game left me scratching my head like, what are we doing here? And so, again, it's the consistency issue. In 2022, you would have had a couple guys in the middle of the field or intermediates that you get the ball out quick. And I felt like late in the season when Geno Smith was playing better, they did a better job of having plays where he could get the ball out quickly behind that offensive line. So maybe Shane Waldron found a little bit of a rhythm going into this Bears job. The consistency and the inconsistency of creativity. Times where you're like, this guy is an offensive innovator. You could see some Sean McVay in him. Yeah. And then you would go two quarters where you're like, either he's getting way too cute or it would just be drop back, drop back, drop back, and punt. And this just happened all the time. So I don't know if it's because he hadn't really been an offensive coordinator before the Seahawks hired him and he was still trying to figure things out or what, but the consistency thing is probably the biggest issue, and maybe going into year four, being around some different coaches in Chicago will benefit him. There were flashes, but ultimately you just didn't see the consistency with a really talented skills position group for the Seahawks that you felt like should have been a top five offense this year.
0: I think it's it's very interesting, right, like you bring up, the, the it almost the tale of two halves of just this season and of course the 2022 season where a lot of what I saw in the second half of the Seahawks season where it kind of felt like they started to somewhat put things back together was it felt like all of a sudden he was scheming to the strengths of the team again where early on it was like he had, he had found a different playbook and he was like i I, I know that this is that I guess the question is, right, we've heard that Pete Carroll is very hands-on in everything. Was that Pete Carroll steering him back in the right direction? Or would you say that's probably Pete Carroll that had steered him away from that direction and Shane Waldron
2: found his way back home? I I don't know that Pete Carroll is as involved with things as what a lot of people believe. And Mm, I'm basing that off of Brian Schottenheimer, too. Mm -hmm. Schottenheimer and Carroll had some frustrations in that Rams game. But I think ultimately, again, you go back and you watch the film, Schottenheimer's probably telling Pete Carroll, like there's guys running open in the middle of the field and my quarterback is not making those throws. So I think there was some frustration there. And second half of the 2020 season, I do think that Carroll meddled some with that offense because they started to run the football a lot more. You didn't see that this year. That was never a shift. I think if Pete Carroll was really getting his hands involved in the offense – You would have seen the Seahawks really emphasize the run game in the second half, and let's be honest, they didn't. There were a few games where Waldron was able to stick with the run game. The Eagles game in particular, it wasn't working well early, but he kept with it, which is not something he did. He got very impatient with the run game throughout his time in Seattle, even 2022. He stuck with the run game, and they were able to wear down the Eagles' front line, and then they ended up winning the football game. But I think if Pete Carroll was more heavily involved in this, that you would have seen the Seahawks shift more towards a run-centric offense, and that is not what happened. So maybe there were some discussions about getting the ball out quicker. Carroll talked about that a lot in press conferences. That may have been something that he emphasized and Waldron followed suit with. We saw that change in the last five or six games, but I think the run game would have been more featured if Pete Carroll really was meddling with the offense. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Corbin, talk about, you know, Shane Waldron's relationship with his players. You know, here in Chicago last year, we saw a lot of roller coaster ride in terms of uh, player press conferences. You know, we've seen guys come out and say, hey, you know what, I wish we would have took more shots downfield. We even saw, you know, we've even questioned Justin Fields' relationship with Luke Getze here. Uh, Talk about Shane Waldron's relationship with his players, but his relationship with his quarterbacks in uh, in terms of Geno Smith.
2: You didn't see any of that in the three years he was here. And you know maybe there were some things that players wanted to say that they didn't. But I didn't necessarily ever get that vibe, especially from Geno Smith. He always made sure to laud Shane Waldron for his scheme and play calling. The running backs lauded him for his play calling. Uh, offensive linemen loved playing for him. I mean, in general, if, if you're looking for one area that should be a positive that makes you optimistic, I don't think Shane Waldron ever had any enemies in that locker room. I think that the players backed him. I think the players believed in what he was calling. Even if, in hindsight, you could look back and say, well, I wonder why we're not using our tight ends more. Or why is the running game being swept under the rug after one quarter? Because, oh, we had a couple runs that got stuck. It never felt like the players – weren't buying into the offense or that they were questioning what Shane Waldron was running. And I think when you watch practices, he clearly had a very good relationship with his players. And I think the teacher aspect is definitely there. The background for him, he was a passing game coordinator in LA. He coached tight ends in LA. He was under Bill Belichick for a short while and he coached positions. So I think the coaching teaching background is a big strength for him. It really just boils down to, is he going to learn from some of the mistakes he had in 2023 and is he going to maximize the personnel that you have in Chicago which is not going to be the personnel he had in Seattle
0: yeah it's it's a very different personnel group and we could we could say that for sure (laughs) we got DJ Moore and everyone else uh but it's I think what's funny about Shane Waldron coming here and and you bringing that up about the relationship and the different things that he's been able to have with the players was that seemed like such a disconnect here in Chicago. So it is a breath of fresh air, at least, that it seems like he works really well with his players and his players do believe in him. When you, when you see that dynamic, though, right, taking that guy out of the locker room, what was the vibe around, I guess, Seattle, around the team, around the, the fans when you found out Shane Waldron wasn't coming back? Because I saw early on, right, in 2022 where it was like, yeah, we might have to move on for Pete Carroll to keep this guy as a head coach. And then in 2023, it was like, ah, we're okay. Where's, where's the vibe on Waldron not being there anymore? Does it feel like it's a loss for the team, or does it feel like you've kind of got a breath of fresh air coming in?
2: Well, this is just my assessment. This is my personal assessment. This is what I think, and then coupled with fans. A lot of fans, I would say the general fan consensus agrees. I I felt like if Pete Carroll, and, and I don't know this, this is not me saying this was discussed in the meeting with Pete Carroll at the end of the season, but I would be shocked if Jody Allen did not throw out a little bit of an olive branch and say, we will bring you back for another season but you need to bring in coordinators from the outside that are established, proven coordinators. Mm. And the reason I say that is because the mood in Seattle, really, from the beginning of this season all the way to the end, especially, you know, Clint Hurd on defense. I mean, fans were wanting a defensive coordinator change midway through the season. Yeah. Mm. Shane Waldron, there were similar vibes for a good chunk of the season. And it just felt like the offense took a huge step back. And that they needed to have something different. They needed to have a shakeup there, at least with the coordinators. And so that was my feeling. That's the feeling that I think most of the fans had. And I think they appreciated what Shane Waldron did. But I think you, you guys know this. You've covered NFL for a long time. When you're a coordinator, the not-for-a-long moniker, I think it really comes to, to the fold. Because if your system starts to struggle, it only yeah. takes a couple games. And that seat gets hot really fast. Yeah. And the problem was that there just wasn't consistency on offense all season long. And they didn't really have any major injuries away from the offensive line. They had their quarterback for most of the games. They had their receivers. They had their tight ends. They had both their running backs for the most part. And yet this offense was near – it was in the bottom half of the league in points. Like that, for many, including myself, was just unacceptable. And so I think the general consensus was – it was time to move on from him. So I don't think fans are upset necessarily about it. I've seen a few fans that have said, well, if we had the right head coach with him, I think we could have made it work. But I think generally fans felt like, okay, he did some good things, but it's time for us to have a fresh start with the offensive coordinator.
1: Yeah, Corbin, I want to ask you, in terms of what you've seen the last three years in Waldron's system, Uh, What quarterback do you think would be a better fit now if the Bears keep Justin? Is Justin a better fit, or do they go on and draft the Caleb Williams? Which quarterback do you think is is a better fit for his offense?
2: You know, honestly, of those two, I would say Caleb Williams, because I think Caleb Williams is going to be able to run those – throw those passes into the middle of the field, into the teeth of the defense, the way that Geno Smith did, at least similar – I'm going to say something that Bears fans are going to bat an eye at a little bit, though. I actually think Drake May would be a better fit for Shane Waldron's offense, personally. Hmm. With his pocket-passing ability, I just see more similarities to what Geno Smith has done with a higher ceiling with Hmm. Drake May. And so I'm not saying the Bears are going to draft him. I think if they're drafting a QB, it's going to be Caleb Williams, and he Hmm. clearly has incredible skills. But Drake May, to me, is the better pocket-passer, at least at this point and Shane Waldron's offense, there's a lot of West Coast in it, I just think that his style might actually be a better fit, personally, but of the two quarterbacks that everybody's expecting, either one is going to be QB, I would think Caleb Williams, just start from scratch, and I think Justin Fields goes elsewhere, maybe Seattle, with the new head coach, it could be (laughs) one of those rotating musical chairs things, and I think Justin Fields could find some success with another team, fresh start for himself.
0: Uh, I get. Let me ask you this then, right, off of if you're looking at, okay, we see the worst that he does. He doesn't run the football, right? That's like I, <laughs> I what I told Bears fans when we hired him. It was like, well, you don't got to worry about it. the quarterback airing it out anymore because that's the only option that you're probably going to see more times than not. But it did feel like, it, I guess it felt like there was a commitment to we're going to use the best weapons we have sometimes, although not DK enough, right?
2: I felt like in the second half of the season, second half of the season that DK Metcalf, they were doing a much better job getting him involved. The average almost 80 yards per game receiving in their last Mm -hmm. eight games. So they were able to get him involved more. But early in the season, there were just games where it felt like we're going three quarters and you could blame Geno a little bit maybe. But to me, it was more about scheme. Like we're not trying to find ways to get DK Metcalf the football. So I know the Bears fans listening to this are going to be like, does he know any other words? But inconsistency, like that has been the theme for Shane Waldron and the Seahawks offense over the last year and a half really because they started to show signs of this in the second half of the 2022 season that it impacted Geno Smith's numbers some then as well. So it's just been an issue being able to stay in a rhythm Game to game consistently, even quarter to quarter, there were a lot of games where you score early and then there'd be two and a half quarters where nothing happened. And then, oh, we need comeback efforts now, Geno Smith, go get the job done. And in my opinion, a lot of it had to do with the inability to adapt, as I said, against defenses that did a better job of adapting themselves after giving up points early.
0: So, what yeah. would you say that he does best? Then, I guess, right? Because it feels like we're getting we're getting a gut punch here from uh, from the inside, right? Like it's not it. It sucks to hear some of these things, but it's like, well, he's here now, so these are the things that we need to expect.
2: What are the things that you think on the positive side he does best? I do think he does a really good job of maximizing the skills for his quarterback. And we've seen that with Geno Smith the last couple of years. Now I think when Geno is playing at his best, that he is a borderline top 10 quarterback. He has shown that in spurts, extended spurts yeah. the last two years. He's got all the arm tools. He's got underrated athleticism. He makes good decisions. The issue of course has been that there has been some consistency issues with him and they have had offensive line injuries. As I said, that, we got to include that as part of the reason. But I do think his ability to coach quarterbacks, he and Dave Canales, who is now battling for that Panthers head coaching job, he did a great job with Baker Mayfield too. He deserves a lot of credit for Geno Smith's breakout. But I felt like the offensive coaching staff as a whole did a really good job of putting Geno Smith in a position where he could succeed, maximizing his skill set, and play with confidence. So whoever your quarterback is, If I'm the Bears, I would have confidence that he is going to instill confidence in that player, and that player is going to buy into the offensive scheme, which I think is the first thing that is critical when you are working with a young quarterback, especially, which the Bears are going to be doing one way or the other. So that would be my big selling point with Shane Waldron, is that if you're looking for somebody that's going to maximize your quarterback play, I think that Shane Waldron did a fairly good job of that here in Seattle the last few years when Geno Smith had to check in for an injured Russell Wilson, then he became the starter. Like He really did a good job, especially 2022. If you can get that 2022 version, your offense could take a steady step forward, and you might potentially have a team that can battle for a wild card spot depending on what they do at other positions this offseason.
1: I think one of the biggest takeaways uh, that I've been hearing you know, through our conversation is, like you said earlier, his he, he often abandoned the run. And, you know, we're in a city and an organization that has had a lot of great running backs that's known for running the football. Uh, that the past few years, I mean, Luke Getsy has been, like I said, uh, you're one of the top tier teams in terms of running the ball. And when you're in NFC North, a division in which you're going to get the elements, bad weather, tough defenses, physical defenses, you're going to have to commit to the run and not abandon it. And I think that's one of the things that I worry about, you know, is, is Getsy was solid in the run, but then he was at we're at the bottom tier in terms of the pass. So, there was no balance there. And I think the biggest thing that, that you know, I think Bears, when Bears fans want to see is that balance. And I think that's what really led to Luke Getze being fired. There wasn't no balance. There was no creativity in the passing game. There was no production. There was no development in terms of the wide receivers. I mean, we draft Tyler Scott. He was missing. Bayless Jones hasn't developed since he's been here. And that's why the Bears had to, you know, they made that trade. And thank goodness they were able to get DJ Moore because if we didn't have DJ Moore – I mean, I don't know what that, what that game <laughs> would have looked like. And, you know, so that's my, that's my biggest thing. I think, you know, with, with Waldron coming here, you know, what ways can he, you know, he's going to have big shoes to fill in terms of the running game. And we got to give Getse credit where credit is due. You know, he did have an effective, uh, you know, uh, running game. But the one thing I think that that'd be a benefit to Waldron coming here is, you know, the Bears retain their offensive line coach. So, you know, a guy who's responsible for, you know, that running game and putting together those those runs and and why we had success uh, running the ball. So, you know, I think if, if he can adapt and be able to work with, you know, Coach Morgan, the offensive line coach that the Bears retain, and I think that would be his biggest ally in terms of helping him, you know, continue to maintain that identity here in Chicago in terms of running the ball, but would also help, you know, the passing game. And I think that's why, you know, he, he, he was attractive because they feel like he's able to, like you said, be able to work with, whatever quarterback who's here, whether it's Justin, whether it's Caleb, whether it's Drake may, we don't know, but he's able to adapt and and get the best out of whatever quarterback will be on the center this year.
2: Yeah. I think the thing that is ultimately going to determine whether Waldron is successful or not is his ability to find just enough offensive balance. As you Mm -hmm. mentioned, I I think that Mm -hmm. in that division, as you mentioned, you're playing outdoors, you're going to have snow, you're going to have wind, all those types of things. You've got to be able to run the football. So This is not going to be Seattle 2.0. You don't have the same personnel either. He is going to have to adjust to what he has. And 2022, he did a good job of that. This year, it felt like till the end of the season. Towards the end, we saw some improvements. But it wasn't as, as good of a job of using personnel. But if you can get that 2022 version, and he is able to build that run game, expand that. I'm going to say evolve it. Evolve the run game so that it isn't stale. And if you've got Justin Fields or Caleb Williams, add in some quarterback runs mixed with that. That's not something they did often with Geno Smith. He ran occasionally, but most of the time it was just scrambling to extend plays. You're going to have to adjust your offense some. If he is able to do that and he's able to get a little more focus on the run game to provide more compliments to that passing attack, then I think he's got a chance to be pretty successful for the Chicago Bears. To me, though, that is a fairly big what-if based on what I saw this past season in an honest assessment.
0: Mm-hmm. Who's the coaches that are on his staff now? Because we've heard that he started interviewing some people to bring over with him. What are the coaches that you think uh, have to come along with him for him to maintain the success that he's had?
2: So I'll throw out a couple names that already have been linked to the Bears that were from the Seahawks staff that I think are really good coaches. Chad Morton is an outstanding running back coach. And he was in Seattle for a long time. And you want to talk about a coach that players flock to? Chad Morton is an awesome guy. Really funny. uh, Just a loud, vibrant personality. You can tell players love playing for him. And he's had a lot of different running backs over the years. Seattle, that has not been an issue for them, having talent in the backfield. The offensive line and maybe the play calling have been issues with their run game. But Chad Morton is an excellent running back coach. And I think Sanjay Law, he got a bad rap coming out of Jacksonville his one year, but he was on Urban Meyer's staff. I think anybody on that staff, let's give him a mulligan because you were coaching under Urban Meyer. We saw how bad (laughs) of a disaster that was, that three-ring circus down in Duvall. But I think he is an excellent receiving coach, and you talked to Tyler Lockett, you talked to DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith and Jigba this year, Mm. uh, some of the other receivers that they have had here. They rave about him and just look at the production that players have had and learning under him. And he was here before going to Jacksonville, so he got to work with Metcalf earlier in his career. And Lockett has vouched for him multiple times. I think he's been arguably their best assistant coach the last couple of years. So if the Bears can bring him in, you could have a few other receivers develop along with DJ Moore. He has proven he can do that when guys are healthy. I mean, Jake Bobo, undrafted rookie this year, made some contributions, and Sanjay Law loved him. So if you can bring him in, he is one of the assistants that I was kind of hoping, whoever gets the Seahawks job, will you come back? Because he was one of the few assistants that I felt like you want to keep him around. So if the Bears can get him to me, that's a big addition. Don't listen to Jaguar fans. Uh, again, that year was a disaster all the way around. This guy can coach. And he knows how to get to younger players and really develop them.
1: I'm excited. I hope hope uh, hope he comes over because, like I said before, when you have DJ Moore and then, you know, everybody else, and that receiving core is still going to remain young. You know, if uh, the Bears are going to bring in some new rookie receiver, it's going to have to be developed. Um, Obviously, you have a veteran like DJ in that room who can, uh, you know, speed up that process in terms of development. But I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen here in Chicago the last few years is, the lack of development with our receiving core. So you know we talk about you know they talk about Justin not being elite in the passing game. We always say, well, who's he throwing to? You look at last year before DJ Moore came, who was he throwing to? This year, the only person he was really throwing to was DJ Moore and Cole Komet. So, and I think you hit it, you hit it spot on in terms of bringing over Chad Morton, who was also a former player. You know, players gravitate to former players, and we've seen the success that a lot of former players have had as coaches and head coaches now in the league. And if you get a guy. You know, who understands what these players go through, but also knows how to challenge these players and keep themselves motivated, but also a great teacher and developer. You get production. So and I'm thrilled that you mentioned those two guys. I hope that uh, Waldron can bring those guys because we've seen here in Chicago with assistant coaches this year has been it's been a disaster. <laughs> I mean, we, see, we need some stability there as well.
2: Yeah, not quite Urban Meyer style, but you guys did have you guys did have your and own. Corbin, it costs. was
1: a no dumpster fire, Corbin, to say the least. It was a dumpster fire, really, and and that's why I think you know the main reason when you look at uh, uh, Pose's press conference, that's the main reason why you know Ibraflus was retained because he was able to right the ship. He was able to you know keep the locker room together and you know to put put together you know a decent winning streak. Uh, the middle of the season, I think that's why you know he is the head he'll be the head coach next year because he's able to ride the ship and 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 have some type of success, you know despite all the negativity and and distractions that we had you know in the building.
0: It's gonna be hilarious to see kind of what, I'm not gonna lie to you i I can't wait to see. I, I I hope it doesn't happen often, but I need at least one game of Shane Waldron running the football four times just to see J Mac in the post game show. Because you should see him when when Luke gets the didn't run the football as as a former fullback. He's just, just losing his mind. <laughs> not just me, everybody in
1: Chicago, the North Side, South Side, West Side, everybody. <laughs> not just me, yeah. Not just me,
2: everybody. Being a former running back myself, I, I yeah. In the press box, there were plenty of times where I was like. Why are we not trying you, to run bro. the damn ball? See, like, know. Just, so I hope you guys don't get to experience that often. I think yeah. it's going to happen sometimes, though, because Shane likes to sling the football. And in today's game, a lot of teams do that. But it did feel like there wasn't enough balance a lot of the time for the Seahawks offense.
0: It's going nah, to be, I can't wait. Called, it, just J-Mac kicking the door in for the post game show. Just Forte would never. Like,
1: oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <Come> <laughs> on, you have, when you have a game, right. In which, I don't know if we even threw the ball, you know, over 10 yards one game. I think we're yeah, that's was, true. I mean, receiver screen, receiver screen. That, that was the whole game plan. Horizontal passing game. Like it's just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, that was the biggest knock I think on Getzey, right? The, the, the inefficiency to to establish a concrete game plan. And we talked about that. Like, one game, he's moving Justin out of the pocket, you know, movements, boots, and stuff like that, and it's working. The next game, what happens? He's got Justin sitting in a pocket You know, like he's Aaron Rodgers. That's not his game. So I think that's the the biggest thing that we fought here in Chicago. It wasn't – it wasn't you know, the running game was solid, but it was inefficiency to be able to have a, a solid game plan week in and week out. Like, it was totally – a tale of uh you know two worlds yet one game plan that was effective for justin and we say okay let's build upon what we did that week let's continue to put Justin in a position to be successful but then the following week we'd see something totally different and you know that's why we had the season
2: we had so i think way too many of these offensive coordinators in the nfl they outsmart themselves like i'm all i'm all for being creative and trying to find new wrinkles Mm -hmm. but like Sometimes you just got to go with what works. I mean, i am even thinking high school football where, you know, we were playing a team in the top 10 in the state, but they could not stop our halfback power runs. And we just kept running it over and over again. Sometimes you just got to go with what works with your personnel and don't be cute. And I think Shane Waldron falls into that issue sometimes too. Mm. Um, And the NFL, you can't, it's not high school, obviously, but it's still the same premise that, You have things that work with your personnel. Max, look at the Kansas City Chiefs with Andy Reid. Like, I know they do a lot of wrinkles and dressing and stuff, but, like, they run a lot of the same plays regularly to get Travis Kelsey the football or when they had Tyreek Hill to get him the football. A lot of the same stuff maybe with some different ways to set up plays, but they're running the same stuff and playing to their players' strengths. So good coordinators, that is what they do. They don't overcomplicate things. I guess
0: it, we'll, we'll finish it off with this because it, it feels like we've had a it, there's some positives. There's definitely some negatives here. When you look at the list of guys who were available, yep. do you feel like Shane Waldron was the top name on that list for a team like the Bears to go get? Or do you think that the Bears maybe settled in this hire and there were better names out there at the offensive coordinator position?
2: There may have been some better options that would have been available if they waited things out, but that is such a dangerous thing to do with coordinators in particular. And Shane Waldron had interest from other teams. And as I said, this is not a—he's not a terrible coordinator. I just—I'm not going to put him in the top ten either. He hasn't shown enough consistency for me to have him in that realm. So if there could have been a more established guy available, then the Bears could have gone that direction. But I will say this, if they're looking for somebody to nurture a young quarterback, I do think that that is a big plus on Shane Waldron's resume. So it made sense from that standpoint. And if he uses Cole Komet the way he used Seattle's tight ends two years ago, Komet could absolutely explode in this first season with him. So those would be some positives for me. I I think that there may have been some better options. I can't concretely tell you that because we never know how the coaching carousel is going to go. Especially now – the rules, they were supposed to help. The rules now for coaching interviews, like, I'm a smart guy, I think, and my head's about to explode trying to figure, oh, can we request an interview now or can we request an interview then? Like, It's, yeah. it's complicated to really know what's going to happen. So I think the Bears probably made a smart decision here, getting the guy that was coveted by other teams. And I think he is a mid-level guy that still has some upside to get better. He's still only been a coordinator for three years. So – that would be my positive spin on this for the Bears. Is as, as long as you view him as an upgrade over what we have, I think we can we can come. I, on do. And I watched a few Bears games and I, you know, Getzy, <laughs> I like getsy's run game stuff at yeah. times, mm-hmm. but as you guys mentioned, I didn't feel like he played to Justin Field's strengths with the right. run game a lot of yeah. the time. It was it was very up and down, and and the passing concepts. I don't have any hair to rip out, but if I was a Bears fan (laughs) and I had any hair to rip out, it would have been gone. Uh, I guess guess here's the question, right? You guys got an upgrade. There's no question about it.
0: Yeah. I guess there's the question. Did did you ever see Tyler Lockett in the backfield as a running back? Was that ever a thing? Like I because we saw DJ Moore. In the they, would,
2: they would put Jackson Smith and Jigba back there sometimes, but they would they would do it for motion purposes. They right. they wouldn't be running the football with those guys. Um not Luke. Getze. <laughs> well let me let me ask yeah, Corbin. Not, you're not gonna see any. I mean, I, I would say there was one play, derek Young, one of their former seven round picks, who played some running back in college, yeah. they put him at fullback. And okay. that actually was one of the cool things that Shane Waldron did because he was nasty lead blocking. So he'll mix some things formation-wise. Uh, he did a lot of really weird formations this year with like two tight ends in the backfield right next to the quarterback on the right I saw that. Side, I saw that. Weren't you guys blockers. down tackles? There were some game? really cool formations. There mm-hmm. were some times where – this was two years ago against the 49ers – they ran a play with 40 personnel. They had DJ Dallas as their quarterback and they mm. had three other running backs in the field. They rolled him out in the red zone and really? he shot it in an interception right, right into Tavarius Ward's hand. So <laughs> sometimes it hasn't worked out, but he does he does mix in. I, I felt like I was watching black and white nineteen oh, twenties. Like,
1: so hey, I, I love that I love that 40 personnel because the running backs were in there, but until you told me the results of that play, I <laughs> yeah, remember, Come on. It snap. I was like,
2: oh, this is cool. And
1: hey. was like, uh, yes, yeah, no. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this, Corbin. Right. So uh how how was this his short yardage package, his game plan or the identity? Because here in Chicago, man, we I mean short yardage, there's been times where we've seen Cole Cometa under center, we get stopped, Justin's under center, we get stopped. Yeah. We've seen jet sweeps to, uh, who was it, to Tyler Scott get tackled for a loss, you know, on third and one or fourth and one. You know, let's talk about Shane Rawlgen's short yardage, uh, you know, short yardage package.
2: Uh, Very inconsistent. And I know you guys are probably tired of me. Just look at the stat. They were a lot better inside the five and ten yard line running the football this year Mm -hmm. than they were the year before. They were one of the worst teams running the ball in short yard situations, especially in the red zone in 2022, which was shocking with Ken Walker III being your lead running back. But they they really struggled when they were in those short yard situations. They improved this year, especially in the first half of the season. Second half, they regressed a little bit there. But there have been some times where there's been some questionable play calls. I I don't think they've ran any, like, jet sweeps to receiver – anything like that in those positions they mix those type of plays in in different spots but generally the the only issue that i had is again when they were running the football in short yardage it didn't always feel like they were scheming to the strengths of their offense they'd run behind a backup right tackle instead of behind their standout left guard for example and wonder why they got blown up 2 yards in the backfield those were the type of things again it feels like you're outsmarting yourself that we saw from Shane Waldron. And there were times that they were very effective moving the ball in short yardage situations. So uh, that is not something – I would put that where It's not – but it's not a plus necessarily resume either. Well, Bears
0: fans – the inside look at Shane Waldron. Let me know how you guys feel in the comments below. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it isn't what you wanted to hear, but there's a lot of it that I think speaks to where the bears are in the process. I think that's the part that does excite me here Corbin talk about uh, the development of the quarterback. That to me is actually exciting because We've never done that here in Chicago, so let's start. Let's start yeah. off developing the quarterback now. Corbin, appreciate you for yeah. tuning in and rocking awesome with the show know. today. Let the people know where they can find you, where they can follow you at, and what you got coming up.
2: Yeah, you can find me on X and Threads at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're going five days a week uh, daily podcast with my co-host Rob Rang. And uh, we're going to continue looking at the Pete Carroll replacement options because Seattle is still trying to figure out who's going to be the next head coach and who's going to be the coordinators to go with Mm -hmm. them and all that fun stuff. So we're going to be covering all that on Locked on Seahawks uh, daily until we start to get intel on who's going to get the job. Yeah, Sounds good.
1: For, I look forward to following and, and keeping up, man. Thanks for your time. It's been
0: awesome. Yeah. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. As always, hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Leave a five-star review. Y'all know what to do. Drop a bar down in the comments. Y'all stay safe out there in Chicago. For Jason McKee and Corbin, I'm Pat the Designer. Peace.